You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Brady Burkett. Today, I'm excited to have on the show Dan Raju, CEO and founder of Tradeir. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, Brady. How are you doing? Good. Really excited for the conversation we're about to have today. Tradeir is one of the original brokerage as a service providers in the investing landscape. So, Dan, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit about your background in fintech in general and then tell our audience more about what Tradeir is doing in the investment space? Oh, happy to do that. Thanks for having me, Brady. Really, really looking forward to this conversation. My name is Dan Raju. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Tradeir. Tradeir is, you know, one of the original brokerage infrastructure companies, like Brady was saying. You know, we started this business somewhere in 2013. We were the first to pioneer the idea that uh, brokerage services could be distributed in more than one unique ways by thinking of it as a service rather than as a direct-to-consumer operation. So we were the first folks to build a truly uh, extensive brokerage infrastructure and delivering that through the API. Today, we power, like I said, you know, over 300 plus companies globally across 75 plus countries and, you know, support some of the most active traders in the market today. So we've come along with the original idea of basically, you know, taking a very burdensome fabric like brokerage and kind of abstracting all the complexities and making platform available on the cloud where we take the business process called brokerage services and distribute them through APIs. Is something that we have, we have we are proud that we built and uh, we are proud that you know we have come to the scale. My background personally, Brady, is you know before start, you know starting trade year with uh, some of the smartest people that I know. Before this, I was uh, the CIO of a firm that's called Trade King, which is now what you see as Ally Invest. Where, where ran all technology operations and strategy for them. Before that, I ran global operations for Associated Press, and before that, I I, I ran a technology for a couple of billion dollar firms. Before that, so I come largely from a tech background, right? And I found my passion in in financial services. Most importantly, is under the larger theme of you know taking heavily burdensome you know compliance driven fabrics and kind of unbundling them. So we are so excited to be a part of the, the fintech unbundling of the traditional bank and the brokerage firm that is occurring. And you know, we're, we're happy to be a part of enabling that. Yeah, I, absolutely. I appreciate you, you know, giving us a sense of where you're coming from. I think you know, trade years at an interesting intersection of a lot of fintech trends we see today. Obviously, in the brokerage space, we're seeing a rise of, of retail trading, which I want to ask you more about your thoughts there, but also just providing an infrastructure so Tradier provides an infrastructure for brokerage across all different financial services, whether it's insurance, lending, payments. We're seeing a lot a rise of these embedded fintech providers as well. So interesting cross-section you're sitting at. You mentioned founding Tradier back in, in 2013. And you know, it, it's I, I think it's common uh, acceptance that we're kind of entering this golden age of embedded finance. So you were roughly seven or eight years ahead of the curve, Dan. <laughs> so I, I'm curious if you could just Tell us a little bit more about what you saw in the space, how you saw this opportunity so early and, you know, if it's shaken out the way you saw it. No, like any other journey. I mean, you, you learn and you evolve and you productize what you watch, right? I mean, that, that's something that entrepreneurs do and companies generally do. And, you know, and, and, and we are proud to have been on the right side of it. 
So, see, it, the, this is so when when we started this journey, right? What we had fundamentally seen at that stage was the, the existing large banks and brokers were all verticalized in the sense that if you wanted to invest, if you wanted to put some money of your own hard-earned money and you want to put it to the market, the journey was a very vertical journey. You would go to the top five brokers, you would put your money there and then live through that broker all through your life, right? And so, but we had seen a fundamental shift. We had seen the need that is coming up in the market for investors trying to take over their own finances. Plus at the same time, we had seen a fundamental boom in more active trading. And the choices the active traders need, the prices they need, the experiences they need, there's no way the existing stack was going to satisfy that. So we had foreseen a fundamental unbundling of the traditional bank and brokerage firms and creation of a whole bunch of options, uh, more nimble, more agile, more customer-centric experiences around content, around trading, around investing, around, you know, around, around the act of putting money to work, right? And so we basically felt like there was a need on the internet for an infrastructure like that that actually enabled that unbundling. So that was the thesis and theme under which we started the firm. And, so, and, and we have seen that industry kind of evolve, right? We've seen that industry after we start kind of evolve. It took a little bit for the industry to kind of basically take the momentum that the pre-pandemic and the post-pandemic times have created to a certain extent, but it has kind of evolved from when we, where we started. At that point of time, you know, the number of traders in the market were low. The number of were much less than its time, and the number of active traders were low in, in terms of numbers compared to what we have right now. And we had just seen the beginning. What we have seen over the last uh, from 2015 onwards is the following: roughly, you know, 25 million new funded accounts had entered into the market. Number one. Number two is those funded accounts were basically very, very. They are they are much less loyal to the app or the front end they use. They go to where. They meet their needs best, number two. And number three that we had seen was all these folks were trying to, you know, go ahead and seek out for something that meets their own requirements. So in 2015, we saw the traditional structured online investor, which we all were categorized, where we had learned to categorize into buckets, kind of take almost an unbundled shape where everybody was different. So we saw that trend in 2015. And by the time the pandemic hit in 2020, I think what, what had happened was that the entry of new traders and and increase in active trading got combined with in-house hyper-connected, hyper-sensitive retail investor who's looking for the same things the trend had created, but now in a much more accelerated fashion. So what we fundamentally believe what happened after 2020 is roughly around 15 million people actually started trading options and they started getting into advanced trading strategies, backtesting, social, mobile, web, automation. And so now you have this highly vibrant post-pandemic retail investor landscape that basically is today it's come to a point where some days retail volumes are basically hitting almost 25, 30% of the total volume in the market, particularly around the option space. And so now you have a much more vibrant, unbundled, at the same time, very, very reactive retail customer base that has got so many choices in the market. And we as a firm are basically, you know, are happy to be the infrastructure that is enabling this trend and more importantly, supporting some of the most innovative products. So if you ask me the trends that I see, I mean, we have a very unique position at Tradier. You know, when you support not just your front end and you support hundreds of front ends, you tend to 
become you have a bird's eye view of what happens in the market but the main trends we see right now are the following number one is what i call as is basically what i call as graduation effect in the sense that a lot of traders who have come in early are graduating to doing more advanced trading number one number two is basically they're they're looking for more choice and price than they ever did before number two the third thing I see is tremendous amount of international-based accounts are coming into the U.S. and opening brokerage accounts in the U.S. market and trading in the U.S. markets. And largely and, and most importantly, is I think there is the unbundling of the traditional bank and brokerage firm is being accelerated. So I, I see those are the large trends that are occurring. And so if anybody's in the retail investing space, I think 2022 is going to be a crucial year. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting you mentioned these trends, right? The rise of retail the opening of vast numbers of accounts for retail traders as compared to maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Those traders graduating to more advanced products like options requiring more sophisticated, I guess, data, you know, interfaces, et cetera. Right. And then the rise of, of internationalization and, you know, what we see at Currency Cloud, it, it's heavily skewed in terms of international investors piling into the U.S., rather than the reverse. So I, I want to come back to that internationalization point and, and get your thoughts there. But with the rise of retail, you know, I think people have been focused on this trend, really the, the meme stock rallies of last year, the rise of Robinhood. There's been a lot of news and, and hype about retail traders actually having active strategies rather than just passively putting funds into an index fund, like a lot of financial experts recommend. So I'm curious if you have some thoughts on what prompted this was this a rise of just you know additional platforms providing the data and access and low commissions for traders to be able to do it? Is it a rise in interest in the market? Is it the bull market we're seeing that's drawing traders in? What is causing this boom in retail trading? You no, know, I think all of the above, right? All of the above contribute in some way, shape, or form. But this is what I think are the main, in my opinion, are the main contributors, right? And that is at the broad level, I think what basically particularly the young generation needs and uh, what their investing goals are, the market has created tremendous amounts of products that completely meet what their aspirational goals are. And that is taking care of their own money, having the transparency, having the visibility and having the control. That I think at the macro level is basically, has, has basically driven that the perfect product market fit that has created. And when I say product, I mean a lot of products, right? And that product market fit has basically created a lot of people being able to jump into the market, get interested in the market, and engage in the market. What put fuel into the fire is basically the pandemic. Now you have all these products in front of customers, sitting at home, hyper-connected, hyper-sensitive, no other avenues to largely go ahead and put their money to work, right? Other than mostly it's, it's, it's around the online investing space. And so that has actually put a tremendous amount of what I call as, uh, you know, uh, fuel in the fire of the number of people who are trading. Now, what has also happened during the pandemic, and it's, it's really interesting to study what had happened just before and during the pandemic is a rapid education and a graduation effect, right? When so many people are connected online into these small meta, micro and macro communities, they tend to converse, they tend to learn, they tend to experiment, and they tend to basically go ahead and try out stuff like they never did before, almost putting 
what we should take years for people to get into advanced trading. People basically were getting into it really, really early. And so you, you combine you combine that with the fact that the markets have just been having a bull run for all during the pandemic. Now you have all four factors, a bull run, a bull market, a captive audience. Number three is hyper enabled, right? And larger number of people all at the same time. And that has basically created that, what I call as those retail volumes. In fact, you know, that, that we are seeing, I mean, we are, we are coming to a point where, where the Congress is talking about, you know, how, you know, about, about retail volumes. See, I have a very interesting perspective. The, the meme stock rallies that you talk about, that we all talk about, you know, here's the meme stock rally again that has come and gone. And we talk about that extensively. But, but if you really take a pause and take a look at it, right, the meme stock rallies have probably very little to do with the brokerage firms or the platforms or whether somebody has disconnected them or connected them or anything like that. I think it has to do with the fact that what is the graduation effect and people engaged in more active engaged advanced trading much early and them trying to learn in a very social environment and them trying to look for better platforms has caused a lot of this, what I call as noise around what happens during these meme stock rallies. So I think the meme stock rally is a symptom. I think the main trend that is in place is all the traders have come in are, in, are engaged in advanced trading. They tend to graduate out of the startup apps they came through. So they're looking for functionality that the startup apps don't provide. And then they're basically learning and engaging and socially learning in a rapid fashion and sometimes making a few mistakes and sometimes not. But that learning that is occurring is what we basically see as what I call as meme stock rallies. Yeah. I think as I said this a couple of months ago. I, I think you're going to see a lot fewer of these meme, meme stock rallies in 2022. Not because I think those traders have gone away. In, in fact, but mostly because I think they, they learn through this pandemic and through these meme stock rallies and they become more smarter and better investors. Yeah, and, and it draws an interesting parallel to the dot-com boom. And as, right. as somebody who has been in the industry, has some extensive background in the industry, you know, back in the turn of the 21st century, with the rise of the tech market, we saw a lot of retail traders piling in. You know, again, a rise of platforms that could service a, a huge number of accounts as well as the rise of message boards that enabled traders to share knowledge. I'm curious if you see this as a similar trend or different, and if different from back then, how so? No, I, 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 there's this tremendous amount of similarities, right? You have the, the main things that come into play, more people, more enabled, reduction in cost, and enabled by convenience, right? And, and you're going to have, and you're going to have a a lot of people doing the same thing in their own variations. So I think, yeah, I, I see a lot, a lot of parallels that have basically occurred in the market during that. And this, even though for a different purpose, and, 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 and there is sometimes a misconception in the market, Brady, that, you know, has the retail revolution kind of tapered off? I, I don't think so. I mean, you're going to see tapering off of volumes. In fact, if you take a look at traditional trading volumes that have occurred in Q4 compared to Q3 and compared to Q1 and Q2 this year, right? There is basically a reduction in the, particularly in the, the retail volumes traded. Options still continues to rise because it has a specific trend and, and a wind behind it. But you see a tapering off of volumes. But that being said, it has not tapered the number of people who are jumping into the market. Uh, so you still get a lot of accounts you get, you're going to get a little bit more real in terms of you know, what trading volumes are. 
plus the internationalization. Yeah, and you guys, Currency Cloud, are in the middle of all of this, right? So I think you can, so what I see is, I see a lot of similarities between that and what happened. I just don't think the trend has, this time the trend has come to an end. You're still going to see a lot of what we call as new people jumping into the market. A lot of companies launching amazing innovative platforms, right? Mostly around convenience and trading. And plus, you're going to see some short-term tapering of volumes, but volumes are not going to get back to where they were before because by nature, it's just a much larger market right now. Yeah. And so you you mentioned internationalization. I think we've used that buzzword a couple of times already today. And I think it's a, it's a, a good place to take the conversation, Dan. So mm-hmm. you mentioned Currency Cloud kind of sits in the middle here. And you know, for folks who are listening, Currency Cloud is, is a cross-border payments platform. We work with a wide range of fintechs. And, and one of those segments that we have focused on is investment platforms and wealth techs. And mm-hmm. it, it's an interesting market. I want to get your thoughts from what we've seen. It's really an, an interest in investors, whether they're retail or high net worth investors from outside the US looking to get into the US equities market. It also you know, touches on other US markets like real estate, et cetera. So is it a fascination with the US? Is it a fascination with US equities? Are there not as attractive investments for US investors to go seeking elsewhere? It seems like this rise of internationalization is just skewed towards one directional flow. I'm curious if you have thoughts on that from where you sit. No, in fact, I, I I wrote about this, right? The internationalization of the U.S. brokerage market. Uh, I wrote it on, on I wrote an article on Nasdaq about this months ago, right? There are a couple of macro reasons why you see this one-sided trend toward what I call as internationalization, or we call or lot of international retail customers jumping into the U.S. markets, right? I mean, the number one. The number one reason at at the rock bottom really is the fact that I think American brands, right, the large, the the LinkedIn's, the the Facebook's, the Microsoft's, the Google's, and the brands that that, that people live, use, and connect in their daily lives internationally happen to be all largely based around the U.S. So the next generation largely connects with those brands, right? So them wanting to be a part of that story is is natural and you see that and so that's the reason you see a lot of interest of retail investors globally trying to own a part of the american brands that they live and and grow up right so that's that's one macro trend number two is i think what is also happening is if you compare to the if you compared most of the currencies particularly in this in the asian subcontinent they have lost value compared to the dollar, right? So what happens is for most of these folks, the idea to put their money into a dollar is a much better way to invest money. Even if the stock market basically, you know, the stock markets basically in the local countries go up and down, dollar is a better bet for them. So the more smarter, more sophisticated investors basically tend to want to leave their money in an American dollar. So I think that's that's driving some part of that's that, that that trend. And lastly, and most importantly, is I think firms like Tradier and to some extent, obviously, Currency Cloud and all of you have made the experience super, super simple, right? I mean, people can open an account from any part of the globe. We ourselves support, you know, 65 countries to open accounts through us, right? And, and you guys transfer, are able to make it super convenient for people to fund their brokerage accounts, right? So I think the convenience factor combined with the value factor that's the dollar versus the local currency and lastly and the, the 
the interest in the U.S. markets is particularly around the brands that they use. All three factors combine, and then what happens is it, it there is an intention to to invest, and so I think that's what is actually driving some part of the internationalization. And I, and I, and I also think what's also happening is I also think outsourcing has also contributed to the number of people who open accounts. What has happened in you know after the tech boom occurred. In the late 1990, from 1990 to 19 to 2000, outsourcing kind of kicked in. So, particularly for example, if you go to India, right, large cities, large, you know, what I call as micro cities, uh, developments, communities have been created, which literally serve working for the American companies, right? They work for the Googles, the Microsofts. I mean, they work, the big companies, they work for mid-sized companies. They work, I mean, I'm sure, you know, via Tradier and Currency Cloud has also, have also got resources working in that part of the world in some kind of an outsource or, or, or an employment fashion. So all these folks, by the nature of their employment, where they graduate, when they earn their dollar, they're working for international companies. So the awareness of international firms by, by the nature of their work, the brand, the convenience, right, compared to, and also the value, I think all these factors drive people to come to internationalization. I actually think that you could see 2022 and even 2023, where I, I would think almost 2020, 20, close to 20% of the accounts that will be opened in the U.S. brokerage industry are not going to come from the U.S. They're probably just going to complete, completely from outside. Wow. That would be a remarkable stat. The trends are pointing that way, so it's not out of this world to conceive of. You know, just sticking on this topic, I think what we see is from a regulatory perspective, different states, different countries put up rules to protect their own citizens, their own investors, and expect broker dealers and, and other types of firms to, you know, comply with that. The internationalization piece brings kind of a interesting wrinkle to that. It, you mentioned India as a, as a great example. India is a country with capital controls for moving funds out of the rupee into foreign markets. And there's a number of other countries that, that have restrictions. You know, the U.S. hasn't blanket restricted sales of, of U.S. equities to overseas investors, folks without a permanent address in the U.S. But do you see either overseas countries and geographies trying to clamp down on this capital flow to the U.S.? Do you see U.S. regulators looking to I don't know why they would, but potentially, you know, eliminate the ability to service overseas investors. Do you see any kind of headwinds coming from a regulatory approach? No, I see. This is what I think, right? I think if you took see, at the end of the day, I think if you think about countries that are basically have their citizens interested in the U.S. markets, you're going to go through. And China has already, as you guys, as everyone knows, has has at least expressed some amount of clampdowns on uh, on on people locally there, open, retail customers particularly opening up international accounts. But I think the, the traditional, what I call as the other countries, I don't expect them, I expect them to enforce existing, existing regulations that they have. I don't expect them to create new regulations around money, money movements because the, the, the act of internationalization of that retail customer helps them in more ways than than we always calculate. It's just not it's just not all about the currency being hosted in a brokerage account, right? It also gives them amazing set of opportunities around taxing. It gives them amazing set of opportunities around you know wealth growth, and most in most cases the wealth basically eventually reaches the country back. So I do expect some countries to be a little bit drastic about it, but majority of the countries locally 
in you know locally to to basically stick to the existing structure so that i expect to continue so and to some extent the trend has already kicked in so it kind of will look a little bit more what i call as too late to the game kind of a thing so i don't expect countries to clamp down any more than they're already doing right on number one as far as the u.s clamping down international like that's that's unlikely to happen the u.s wants those in investments the u.s wants that money the u.s basically wants investors to the u.s wants to become the primary exchange for tradable securities around the globe. So I think I would not expect that. But that being said, I do expect new set of regulations coming up in the US, particularly around a few things, which I, which I think is good for the industry. Number one yes. is I, what I expect to happen very honestly is I expect more regulation in the US to come into what is disclosed to the customer and what is disclosed back to the regulators as it pertains to KYC, AML, and also around implementing the right mitigating controls to protect the investor in general and protect the international investor in particular. So I see a set of regulations coming around how to manage and control it and probably not to slow that down. Now, we can talk about regulation and talk, not talk about crypto, I guess, in 2020, <laughs> into, in 2022. But I, and I said this yesterday on another, another conversation. I expect 2022 from a, reg, a year where regulation is going to come and touch the traditional listed security space, but that will be most around consumer protection and mostly around KYC and pre-approvals for different classes of accounts. I don't expect the regulators wanting to slow that trend down. And on the crypto side, I, contrary to what many people think, I think the year 2022 is going to be the year where the regulators are going to at least, regulators will at least make their policy clear as it pertains to how to treat uh, treat these digital assets and these cryptocurrencies. I don't expect them to create hard rules. So the two phase, right? Creating a policy is different than creating rules and regulations. So I expect that Q4 or maybe even 2023 as it pertains to coming up with clear guidelines and rules as to how, uh, how broker deals and platforms can follow. But I see the first stab of at least having an approach and a policy on how they would handle digital assets and cryptocurrencies in particular coming through in the first two quarters of 2022. You know, I think I think that's another interesting trend we're seeing as well. Folks like Tradeir, platforms like Tradeir are enabling consumer-facing brands, consumer-facing fintechs to offer equity investing and crypto investing side by side. So at a certain point, the users of those platforms will blend the idea of investing between crypto and, and right. securities and you know, there's going to be an expectation in the market. No, there's a lot that, of blending that, occurring. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of blending occurring. I mean, what we traditionally used to, you know, what ten years ago we would break the market into, all, you know, digital advice markets where people are investing in, you know, uh, you know, managed portfolios, or to people who are self-directed, or people investing in more recently into crypto. But I think right now people want to invest. And they don't really draw the distinction in their head as to they either are investing in a cryptocurrency, they're investing in listed security, they're making their own choices or delegating the choice to someone else as it pertains to having uh, managing their money. But it all is occurring through a much more cohesive um, experience. And I think our the verticals that we have lived through for the last couple of decades about you know how we categorize these retail investors are all in collapse mode right now. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your forward-looking thoughts. For those listening, we're recording in the last week of December of, of 2021. So it might be a few weeks before you hear this, but we're getting some end of the year predictions from Dan. So, you know, to, to wrap up the conversation today, Dan, you know, I'm curious if you could just tell our listeners a little bit more about what Tradeir is doing to address these trends and, and things that you're seeing in the market. 
And, you know, feel free to tell folks how to find out more about Tradeir and get in touch. Yeah, the easiest way to get hold of uh, Tradeir is, you know, just go to www.tradeir.com and you can call us anytime or you can send us an email and our, uh, our relationship teams are always <laughs> waiting to, to hear something from you. So yeah, love, that's the best way to get hold of Tradeir. So this is our 2022 for trade year is, 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 is a pivotal year for us. I think we spoke about the trends. We spoke about what we see in the market. And some part of our strategy in 2022 is primarily to enable that those trends that we see. Number one, we will be launching in the first, at the end of the first quarter, or maybe just before in the early half of the second quarter, we'll be launching crypto. And when Tradeer launches crypto, it is not like we're just launching just a crypto app, right? What we will basically enable is hundreds of firms to basically go ahead and offer crypto through their platforms. So we are going to be launching crypto with a very unique set of pricing, uh, much different than what you have seen in the market. It's almost like, a, you know, I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to leave the word subscription for people to imagine, but, but we are jumping into crypto in a major way, it's number one. So we will be the company that's actually bringing crypto to the active trading space. So super excited about it, number one. Number two is what we'll also be doing in 2022 is as we have been powering hundreds of companies, we're actually going to make a truly basically accessible collaborating platform called a marketplace where people can pick and choose the platform of their choice and the prices they, they, that match them the best. So as we were talking about it, active traders look for choice, price, and, and, and basically convenience. And we're going to make that available through a marketplace. So all partners of Tradier, it's exciting for many of the partners at Tradier. We're all going to feature them in a true marketplace where people can choose some of the best equity and options trading platforms, social, mobile, web, content, you know, uh, signal creators, backtesting. I mean, so many categories that people can do. So we will be launching that. So super, super excited about the marketplace that we're going to create. And largely and most importantly, in addition to all of that, we are basically going to offer a new set of APIs, mostly around data, mostly around, you know, testing, you know, paper trading and internationalization. So that'll actually, that a whole bunch of interesting releases are going to come out. So if you think about it, APIs are going to enable a much more international access. The complexities of we're going to, more advanced APIs are going to support the active traders. The marketplace is going to generate the choice and the value and the price people are looking for, and we're jumping into crypto. The, we are still trying to finalize when our launch for futures is going to be. We, do, we still don't have a clear date, but it'll be in 2022. So that's kind of where we are. Yeah, exciting stuff. Lots of exciting stuff coming. Dan, really appreciated the conversation today. Thanks. Brady, you, you've been great. Thanks so much, man. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at CurrencyCloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.